0: Before the Rider Flex podcast episode of the day, a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360.
1: Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand.
0: <laughs> Adam Oliver on the Rider Flex podcast. Adam, how's it going, man? How you doing?
1: Good, man. Glad to be pulling out of COVID. And it's a sunny day here in Denver. And, and so I'm excited about the summer. Can't wait. Happy to be on. So I appreciate you having me on the podcast.
0: Plus, we got a beautiful week of weather after having that shitty, shitty ass Memorial Day weekend weather. Can you believe that it just rained all weekend? And then like Monday afternoon, like when it's over, it cleared up. I was like, oh, what a killer.
1: <laughs> yeah. As soon as you had to start thinking about getting back to work, then the, the good weather rolled around. So, yeah. <sighs> that was a bummer. But I
0: am looking at the forecast. Now we're into whatever it is, seven or eight days of some solid stuff here, some good stuff.
1: That's right. I think we just needed June to roll around. And, and now we're well into the summertime sunshine. Yes.
0: And this is the, well, unless you're a big skier or whatever, this is like right now, like right now in Colorado is so awesome. Right. It's just now it's green. Hasn't gotten too hot and burned up yet. It, there's really no humidity, beautiful time of year. Like This is probably my favorite time of year, Colorado. Wonderful.
1: Oh, I agree, man. We, I was running on some trails over by the uh, Hogback and it's so green, everything looks great. Sun was coming up, Like so it is a beautiful time before it starts getting too hot in the summer. Yes, and I hope we don't
0: have those fires like we had last summer. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. hoping for the best. Um, yep. Or last fall, I guess it was, we had them. Um, so before we get into Crafted, Tell us about Adam Oliver. I want to know what did you are you a native? Tell us about your parents, siblings. Walk us into, you know, you were you you must have been a smart student in high school because you got into School of Mines, right? So just well, walk us through some personal stuff. Yeah, yeah. So
1: born and raised in uh, Colorado, down in the Littleton area. Uh, I have one brother and a couple of stepsisters. Um, so yeah, I was fortunate enough to go to Columbine High School, which which gave me some real good life events and, and taught me a lot going into college. Um, and yeah, played a lot of sports, did a lot of the Colorado things that everybody talks about, like, you know, plenty of mountain time, skiing, soccer, all that. And then, yeah, that led me to staying close to home just because I love the area and was like, well, why would I go too far away from this paradise? So I I, uh, wanted to go to engineering school. And I said, well, hey, there's a pretty good school right up the road in Golden. And that led me to uh, the School of Mines, uh, which was great. And I was kind of balancing, uh, you know, big school versus small school. And for whatever reason, I was like, hey, I can go to a a small school like mine's really focus on academics, but we still had a good time and and were able to uh, enjoy the party scene up there. And and then we had plenty of friends that went to uh, CU, CSU, Boulder, um you know all those types of schools so we could go still experience the the big college life as well
0: well you you didn't party too much because you got 4.0 at school of mines so there was, there was a ton of partying must have been light on the partying
1: <laughs> well, or just do my best studying while i drink some beer so uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind of all aspects of life worked out really well at that point so i i can't complain about that experience
0: Mechanical engineering degree, School of Mines 4.0. Congratulations. That's a major accomplishment. Um, talk to me about your parents, though. What would your mom and dad do? And obviously, there was a divorce in there somewhere because you had some step- stepsisters. Uh, well, I want to know about a little bit about that because sometimes all these things shape you a little bit. Talk to me about your parents first. What What'd they do?
1: Yeah, yeah. Good call. So, uh, my, so my real father passed away when I was, uh, oh, let's see, like six months old right? So oh, oh, bummer. Uh, yeah, that's a bummer. But you know, it taught me a lot, like watching my mom raise a couple of kids for for a couple of few years before she got remarried. And, okay. and thinking about that now as I'm a dad with two kids and, and what she was going through, uh, that definitely impacted how I think about life and and work life balance. I think we'll talk about it with crafted, but it, it impacts how I think about the day to day of our job and mm-hmm. stress and, and how to not take things too seriously. So So yeah, that was when I was real young. Don't, don't remember that situation. Um, Did you,
0: so, so the, your stepdad, you just called him dad. I mean, when you, when you got older, like that was your dad because you didn't, you didn't know any, I mean, you were super young. Okay. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I was six months old. Um, How'd your, how'd your blood, how'd your blood father die? What happened? Your biological father. Yeah. So kind of a rare uh, like blood in internal, uh, what do they call it? A syndrome that basically you know kind of like eats away at at some of your uh key organs and it's just a it's kind of a nasty thing he was you know in his late 20s um obviously my mom was in her lower you know younger 20s mid 20s and <laughs> kids it happened quick you know it's kind of like a, a cancer type of set-on and you just wow. don't really know what's going on you realize you're sick and then it and things happen quick so wow. yeah so she had to mom's yeah, your
0: mom had to deal with that. She's a young 20s, two kids, two, two little kids. All of a sudden, your, your late 20-year-old husband just dies suddenly. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, oh, wow. Okay.
1: Yeah, that taught me a lot as far as what to be grateful for. And, and again, not take life too seriously when you can help it. And and then, you know, we had a lot of great support from my grandparents. They were big factors on on okay. uh, think about. Yeah, they were just very kind people, always outgoing, always networking and just meeting friends and taking care of people. So that's how to – a good positive impact on my life as well. What would your stepdad do for a living? Yes, my parents were both, you know, middle class, like maybe even lower middle class, perhaps, like working uh, at King Supers. They both had long careers at King Supers, which oh, okay, okay, kind of made, like you know, it's not high dollars, it's not, it's not a you know prestigious you know career lines, but they stuck with King Supers. They both had great careers, ended right. up in up retirement. So it's just kind of like that salt of the world, earth just. Keep working, put your head down, do what your family needs and make money and, and kind of move on from there. Did either one of them have college degrees? Oh, let's see. Um, my dad did, didn't really use it. It was more like a political science degree. And then he just threw some roundabout twists and turns in life. He ended up at King Soopers as well. My mom uh, got partway through college with some accounting work. Uh, but then I think it just we were a little older at the time. So it wasn't when she was the typical college age, like 18 Okay. 20, she did some college later in life but then you know raising raising some young kids and stuff like that she decided like well get to work will be more valuable than finishing off that degree and, and
0: were you uh out of the four kids were you the were you the smart one were you the 4.0 school of mines kid or was it were were all of them that way
1: oh everybody else is smarter than me i'm i'm the youngest my brother also went to mines with me he played he actually wow football with Chad Freehoff. So that's how kind of oh I see. I see. Wow. So good connection there. Um he did not get a 4-0, but I'll be honest, he the kid figures out how to work smarter and not harder. So he's he's doing just fine and he's uh plenty smart. The other two sisters are in like psychology, have doctorates like very smart. What? Wow. Yeah.
0: Two two middle class lower middle class parents working at King Supers. Put two boys to the school of minds. And plus, you said your sister. I mean, hey, man, they must be super proud.
1: Yeah. They taught us some good educational, like foundation, uh, that, that make that a key part of what you want to do. And, and it's wow, been good. that's awesome.
0: Who, yeah. who was tougher? Who was tougher? Who was, who was tougher? Your mom or your stepdad? Who was, who was more?
1: Who was oh, that? man, let's see. Well, we usually dad took care of the discipline. But then when mom was bad, then you knew stuff was real bad. Like if you, <laughs> if you managed to get her upset, like then it was like, oh, we better we better shape up quick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, man. So School of Minds goes. OK, so did you know what you wanted to do? I mean, I know you majored in mechanical engineering, but did you I mean, did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up at that point? I mean, did you have.
1: Yeah. yeah go could, ahead. Good question. Good question. I did not. Right. Like I knew, I knew what I like to do. And I, you know, I always grew up tinkering. Like you hear a lot of engineers say like, Oh, I was always you know, putting together dirt bikes or, or messing with mechanics or, you know, probably playing with too much fire and, and all kinds of other things in the garage. Right. So I knew I wanted to do technical things. Um, okay. I, I had some kits when I was a kid doing a little tinkering with electronics and stuff like that. Um, so I knew kind of engineering was a great path for me. It just resonated that like, go to an engineering school, figure something out. Right. All right. And I think that worked out really well that like engineering teaches you really good ways to just learn and problem solve and and kind of weed your way through complex situations. Um, but partway through that, I had like a, uh, fork in the road where I could either go deep into the mechanical engineering types of things, or I could also like focus a little bit on business. And that side of it also always really resonated with me, um, you know, because it's not just where, what can you do with engineering? It's like, well, how can, how can that drive business value and how can it um, you know, create value for, for the markets or the world? Um, so I kind of knew that I wanted to get into maybe like an MBA, do some of that. And, and I had this big fork in the road where I could get on with some local kind of investors that owned some real estate and needed some help building real estate or I could move to Utah and work for Thiokol Propulsion on some solid rocket boosters. Mm. And it was, that would have been an amazing opportunity, very mechanical driven. You get to mm. see some cool things on, on those solid rocket boosters. But uh, at the same time, I'd be leaving friends and family. Uh, that was during my college summers. And I, you know, I definitely believe in having fun and, and living life. Um, and I could stay home and take more of a business-oriented uh, internship uh that was still kind of technical but would allow me to do that so i ended up going that route in that after well,
0: houston 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 sucks anyway i mean come on
1: oh man <laughs> it was in the- no i'm just joking all my friends down
0: in houston sorry uh i mean houston compared to denver i mean please i
1: mean yeah not even close anyway go ahead i <laughs> know yeah, you're right it would have been in the middle of nowhere working on uh, these solid rocket boosters they said you work like 10 or 12 hours a day and i don't yeah. know that it would have been just a phenomenal experience, but I also knew at the end of the day, I didn't want to be just kind of a laboratory engineer working deep deep into the technology. Like I, I've always liked people too much. I like the mix of technical, the mix of engineering, but also like, how does it relate with people? How does it relate with business? Uh, Those types of dynamics. Um, And so that, that led me eventually down into the MBA route um, and eventually into technology.
0: Okay. Did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Was that even, was that in there anywhere?
1: I would say probably not. Um, I, I would actually even say there were parts of my career or, or life where I would think I would not have been able to take a risk or okay. you know, I, I would stay on the conservative path, you know, learning from my parents, put your head down and, and make, make your money, do your job and just move on. Uh, so I'd say no, like getting out of undergrad, uh, I would say entrepreneurship was probably not uh, the thing I was thinking about most, you know, closely or, or driving towards. And then it just kind of presented itself, you know, eventually, uh, as I progressed through my career. Well, how did you go
0: from mechanical engineer to software developer?
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah, So, so I went from mechanical engineer to real estate and land development houses, put in infrastructure and some developments up in the mountains. We were doing a lot of work in like Fairplay and Breckenridge. Okay. Uh, doing that but that's uh i was working a ton of hours i was driving a ton up there i think one year i put fifty thousand miles on my car i i was working you know 60 hours a week zero more and then 2008 came around so the, the uh, i see residential crisis and it yep. scared me a little bit and i jumped out i was like i don't want to get too far away from my technical background uh, I want to those that's yeah okay. and i'm impending doom now, in hindsight, the people that stayed in real estate, whether residential yep. like or commercial, they did just fine. And I think I would have done just fine, but it, it scared me a bit. And I was like, well, let's go back to something a little more safe. I see. Okay. Technology, because I had some friends that were in the technology space and they, they got me a job and, and that kicked it off back in. About 2000, uh, I guess, seven or 2008 was when I kind of got into technology. I see. So
0: that's how that. Okay. Gotcha. That was this. I was looking at him, looking at your LinkedIn profile and stuff. I'm like, wonder, wonder why he. Okay. Appreciate you walking me through that. All right. Mm-hmm. So what, transition us then into the last job you had as an employee into, into how you decided to start craft, Crafted. Walk us through some of that.
1: Yeah, no, great. I I really credit a massive part of my career, probably most of it to this company, Pivotal Labs. So they're a big company here in town. Uh, They were big in San Francisco, New York, Pivotal Software. And then then they had one labs component, which was the consulting piece. And they're still around. They now are owned by VMware, right? So they went public, uh, then VMware bought them. But anyway, Pivotal Labs, I worked with them for four years. And before that, I was a client of Pivotal Labs. Right? I so see me and another team grow a greenfield product, kind of a startup. Now I was not a founder of that startup. I was just like one of the first five employees. Okay, and we to Pivotal Labs to help us build this software, and they really immediately taught me the best ways to build software in agile, okay. modern ways, the best tech stacks, the best practices, all of these things. And I had one really good mentor uh, at Pivotal Labs, um, Mike Baranek, who really, I mean, he would just shoot you straight. He's like, here's what you need to do and go do it well. And like, here's where it'll take you. And everything he said, he would like back up and, and, uh, it just worked. And he was very blunt, like to the point type of guy. Um, but he did, he just kind of showed me, he's like, Adam, here's the, here's the next things you need to go do. And if you do it, you'll be successful. Uh, so I really credit Pivotal Labs and, uh, Mike Baranek with a lot of my success. Great great team. They really do have some of the best practices in the software industry and how to do this stuff. So then getting into how we started Crafted, you know, Pivotal was growing to an IPO, right? They, they were getting into different markets, different sizes of, of clients that they were working with. And so they started to trend more to Fortune 10, Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies, bigger problems, a lot more bureaucracy and hierarchy in the clients that they were working with. And that's okay, because for them, it was driving them to their IPO, and it was massively successful and and great. But through that journey, one, I was starting to hit a bit of a ceiling with where I could go in a big organization. Uh, And I was also like losing a little bit of my love of of starting with uh, or working with startups and working with growth stage companies that are really getting product market fit. They're really starting to accelerate, and now they need to become a mature software company. And I think that's really what I enjoy doing based on the practices that we had for Pivotal. And I said, well, hey, let's let's get a small team together and just go work on some of these smaller projects that are now too small, maybe for a company like Pivotal. Or okay. and I was like, let's just be more of a niche player and and get back to what we want to focus on. Uh, and and that-
0: did you did you talk to your bosses at Pivotal and say, "Hey, I'm going to go, I'm going I'm I'm to create my own thing and take care of those little clients you don't want to deal with anymore?
1: You know, I did not. I did not. But I know one thing that Pivotal did really well was like when people would go and leave and do startups, they were very supportive of it. They'd oh. often know if you ever wanted to come back, you could come back. Now, I will say most of those startups were not as directly comparable uh, as far as <sighs> a Pivotal model. But I think at the same time, like they did see that writing on the wall that like, hey, we do not want to or like we're, we're not going to service those small clients and their prices had risen so high that a lot of the companies that, that we try to work with, they can no longer pay 300 bucks an hour for yep. consulting. They gotcha. need a really boutique shop that can fit in. So there was not a whole lot of ruffled feathers as far as me starting a, a consultancy. I would say there were a couple, uh, if we wanna talk about a couple of the employees that have come over to, from, uh, to Crafted from Pivotal that, uh, that caused a little bit of friction, but I, I tried <laughs> to avoid that as much as possible. You get a call from, you got a call from somebody. I got a couple of calls, a couple of texts. It only happened <laughs> a couple of times, but uh, yeah. I mean, it's not something I felt good about, but at the same time I knew some of these employees were leaving, right? They were seeing the same, right. I was seeing. Yeah. They wanted exactly. they also wanted a startup option like Crafted could give them. We're more we're nimble. Uh, we, can, we can be more flexible with how we operate our business and our consulting model. So um, yeah, so, so we got through those waters. Okay, let me back up
0: for a minute. You get ready. So, what happens now? You, you married with kids, families, uh, partners? What What's your st- status at home?
1: Yeah, so married, uh, we have been married almost 17 years, um, and then two kids. So, I've got a, a six year old daughter and a three year old son. They'll both turn seven and four in July.
0: So, they were like four and one when you started this deal.
1: Or yeah, something like that. let's see. Were they 28? Carter was Carter was six months old when I uh, when I launched crafted Braylon was three so Carter wasn't even born when I told my wife I was thinking about this and my wife come her dad is uh, kind of an entrepreneur and you know I'm expecting you know hoping she'll tell me how crazy I am and like you shouldn't go start a business right now and she goes okay that sounds good
0: <laughs> uh, did she say how much how much you think you're gonna make next year was there
1: any of that in there <laughs> you didn't even ask like she's willing to take a risk she she was super supportive and she knew like i'm kind of anal enough and, and risk averse enough that i've probably checked off some of those boxes and like and yeah. done math so she was yeah. like oh, you think it's a good idea go do it so i'm, I'm very appreciative of her was she
0: involved. work? was she well she had a six month
1: old she was she probably wasn't working at the time or was she Well, let's see i think when I, yeah she was just going back to work with just going secretary. back Yeah, and at the time she was a elementary school teacher. Oh, Uh, so making a so making a ton of money.
0: Absolutely,
1: (laughs) she was busy, uh, chaotic. But you know, we have both have a good balance on on taking care of the family. And then since then, now she's an elementary school principal down in Jefferson County. Um, so it all worked out. But yeah, she was very.
0: Okay. Yeah, you say it all worked out, but I want to let's dive. I want to go deeper just a little bit here. So. You quit your job. I'm gonna guess you were making pretty damn good money at the time. Uh, your wife's a school teacher, which means she's not bringing in a shit ton of cash. You know, uh, you got two little kids at home. Did you have a cl- when you when you gave your notice? Ha- did you already have a client or two lined up? Had you been having conversations with? johnny and mary and you're like hey look man i'm about to quit i need to know if you guys are going to be my clients over here like how'd you do that
1: yeah yeah i I did actually know that those things were going to come through i uh, at that same time i was thinking about leaving a couple of these companies said like hey adam we're in the market for you know i think both of them were kind of like VP of product type roles okay and you know like you know are you interested i was like well guys i'm i don't know if i'm interested so much but i am thinking about doing this and they're like, well, great. When you do that, like, let us know. And, and, you know, we'll bring you on as like interim, uh, or a consulting type role. And okay. right. so it worked out great for them. Uh, cause I also told them, like, I wasn't ready to join that type those types of company okay. Okay. as that full-time role. And I told them I was really interested in trying my own thing. They were very supportive. They said, well, great. Like, come help teach us how to do a few of these things while we hired the right person. Um, give you your first contracts for you know the, the first one was for like 13 months and another one for a okay. couple quarters so it, it did it gave me a good confidence to like uh, make that jump and so you yeah you made the jump over into
0: 1099 work pretty quick there wasn't like this six month gap with no cash
1: no no it, it did happen pretty quick to okay why good
0: for you okay good 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 that helps the listeners i think because they're always wondering like how'd you do that Bottom line is what I heard Adam say is, "Hey, look, he wanted to leave his job. He wanted to start this own thing, but he was having some conversations to make sure there was work in place when you uh, finished your last day over at Pivotal Labs." Got it. Okay. Was it just uh, is it was it just you when you started? Um, talk to us in the early phase. You had did you have some team members as well?
1: Yeah, no, just me. I basically knew I needed to get you know have that way to get out on my own, so that then I could have the freedom to do everything I needed to do. I see. Jumped out on my own, had that first like 13 month contract to where I could work on that client, but also be free from other constraints. And then I could get in there and um, start figuring out the rest of the business. How do I get a client? How do I make my first few hires? How do I start thinking about uh, benefits and setting up a true like consultancy? One thing I knew with Crafted, I didn't want to just have a bunch of kind of random 1099 contractors that were kind of pulled together. I wanted it to truly be a business. Um, you know, W2 employees, full benefits packages, really build a team like for the long haul. So that first year I was really able to focus on those types of things um, on, you know, get better at making new relationships and understanding the sales flow and sales cycle and how do people, you know, I, I knew leaving Pivotal Labs, like you're leaving a lot of clout and you're leaving a lot of brand recognition and name. People would come into Pivotal Labs and it was no question. We'll do whatever Pivotal says, we'll pay the dollars. Like you guys are pros, you're a big company. So I had some learning curves to take care of. I'm like, hey, now you're crafted, Adam. We know you still know all the same things, but you're like, you're like one dude, um, and maybe you're two or three people, and then you're five people and stuff like that. But even though you were from Pivotal, you're now you're not Pivotal, right? So that's right. So are right. crafted, And that's that's good. How effort. many?
0: How, yeah. How many projects has Crafted worked worked on? What clients has Crafted? Like all those early phase questions where you're like, well. I don't really have any logos on my website yet if people we help, but you're going to be my first one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Those are my questions. Uh,
0: so you cash flowed it yourself. Basically, you you cash flowed the business from the contracts you had early on, and you didn't, you didn't have to put a bunch of cash down from savings or anything, right, because it's a service business. There wasn't a lot of upfront cash.
1: Correct. Correct. I mean, you know, we we're we, – those first ones I worked on client sites, so I didn't have office. Great. Uh, I basically had to buy my own laptop uh, in business, and then yeah, there there really wasn't a lot of other cash outlay at the beginning. I did make sure that I had plenty of cat you know free cash uh, from you know just previous work saved up, right? I've always yeah, been just in case yeah. conservative. I also yeah. then made sure that before I left having pay stubs and stuff from uh, Pivotal, I went and got a uh, Home equity line of credit as kind of a backup plan. Backup, good.
0: That's a good tip for the listeners. Appreciate you bringing sharing that 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 information. Great, great tip. So you got the home line home, yeah, got the got the line of credit from your from your home equity, kind of sits over there, like okay, just in case.
1: (laughs) Totally. And what I did there was I took out what I knew I was willing to kind of wager, right? If if for some reason I had no clients, nobody wanted to hire me, couldn't, couldn't make a dollar right in the years, like. We're like okay if, if for some reason we grind mm-hmm. through this money okay well we gave it a shot now what do we do you know do you keep do you find another plan do you, do you continue to make bets or at that point i also i always evaluated my downside as okay if crafted doesn't work in the early early days well what do you do well, there's plenty of product and technology jobs in town right so I was, I was plenty yeah, yeah you know that realm really well yeah <laughs> but that was my worst case scenario, right? I was like, yeah. you know, best case, we, we figure out a plan. And there's plenty of like, good cases that range from like, just okay to, to great. Um, and, there, and I figured the downside was not that big of a downside, right? You that, I
0: mean, hard. you know, that's, I always tell people that even if you're not in technology, for the most part, like, the what's the worst that can happen? Just go back and get another regular job. I mean, mm-hmm. You know, unemployment's still super low. I mean, the, the bottom line is you can probably find a job. So, you know, worst case scenario, just go get a job. I mean, you know, um, And but by the way, great move. I want to summarize for the listeners. Okay, so a little bit of savings. Also took out the line of credit from the equity on the house as a backup emergency cash and made sure you had some clients and projects lined up before your last day at Pivotal. All good moves for somebody starting a service business. Excellent. Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, Now's probably a good time to give the listeners, by the way, for the listeners, it's crafted.solutions. crafted.solutions. Why don't you give the listeners the, the three-minute elevator pitch of crafted. Go for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. Uh, so crafted, what we call ourselves as balanced team consultancy. So we have learned like through our days at Pivotal that The best way to ship software and a lot of people know this in some realm but the best way to ship software is with product designers product managers and engineers all working very closely together that's what crafted brings to the table is those three disciplines now when i say a lot of people and companies know about those disciplines what i think crafted spins on it is is how those disciplines work together in a cohesive team-based fashion a lot of times we talk to clients and they're like oh yeah we have product design and we have product management we have engineers But they occasionally commingle on projects, but then they all bounce around and do different projects. So they're not really this cohesive team that truly understands their user from start to finish. They're not always aligned with their business because they're doing 10 different projects. Mm. Uh, And then they're not always aligned with each other because it's more of a handoff situation versus a a very tight-knit collaborative team Mm. that is understanding a problem figuring out the solutions and then shipping software as quickly and as iteratively as possible. So that's really what we focus on. We're a balanced team consultancy. And then the other thing that we focus on is, is our, how we deliver software. So one, we can come in and just work with your teams and just ship software for you and deliver based on the problems that you identify and we'll help define the solutions. The other thing we do, which I do think is a big differentiator from most uh, consultancies and agencies, is we also have this enablement factor where your team members can sit with Crafted and we'll teach them things like user-centered design, test-driven development, continuous integration to continuous deployment, how to do lean product management and experimentation. Like, so you just sit with us and, and your people learn how to do that side by side. So not only are you leveling up and shipping your product, you're leveling up your people and your whole team is getting better with some of these disciplines that we've learned throughout our careers. Um, and that tends to be a pretty powerful thing that a lot of our clients have said, hey, Adam, that's a, that's a key reason that we are signing this with you is, is that factor. Because uh, the other approach, Steve, as you've seen in the market is, uh, you know, a lot of coaches come in and they coach you like in a conference room and at a whiteboard and with some booklets. Uh, and then you're like, OK, well, let's go try that and that that doesn't usually work quite as well in my opinion the best way to learn something is like we sit with you in the trenches and mm-hmm. let's just take you through some of these flows and let's just ship some great product for your company and then by the way you're going to learn stuff every day all along mm-hmm.
0: the way mm-hmm. okay thank you for that i want to i want to repeat back to you in in uh, layman's terms what i heard see if i got this right layman layman commoner just a commoner that's not a software engineer i'm going to repeat it back Um, So I own a recruiting firm, Ryderflex. Let's say um, I decided that I wanted to build our own applicant tracking system, right? Our own ATS. And there's a million different ones you can buy on the market, you know? But for some reason, I wanted... I didn't like any of them. I wanted to build my own ATS. Um, And I wanted to build it so that we could use it and we could potentially sell it. Um, So I got you know all these people so software engineers full stack guys whatever data scientists i don't know all the different i've got five or six seven people on the team somebody's in kansas i got another guy over in india whatever it's been a year and a half they're dicking around i still don't have my software done i'm getting pissed off i'm the ceo i'm looking at the freaking expense reports i'm like damn i spent a lot of money on this project they still haven't delivered anything and they're griping, and they're like, okay, John's not getting along with Mary and Mary hates Will and all this other shit. And so I get frustrated. I call I call Adam and crafted. Is that is that it? Did I get it?
1: <laughs> I think that can absolutely happen. Like that, you know, where other agencies or other consultancies don't deliver and their process breaks down or internal processes break down, and you're like, all right, we need, you know, how do we scale some agile practices and lean methodologies? And yeah, let's talk to some experts that have implemented this at companies they know how to teach it while shipping yeah i think i think you're spot on okay you come in to
0: get it get the product finished and out the door once a team has tried to get it started and they're stuck or you can do it from beginning to end
1: oh totally we yeah three different modes like beginning to end is absolutely in our wheelhouse that's a lot of fun working on greenfield software okay. There the beginning, are
0: green is green. When you say Greenfield, is that what you mean by beginning? Like, a, like, it's not, it's just an idea.
1: Yeah. Sorry. That's like from scratch. Okay. Nothing. no line to code. Yep. Exactly. You're starting, okay. All right. which is nice. Then there's the realm of like, I, I would say it's a little bit less common where it's like, Hey, we have a half baked product. Can you come help finish it? Uh, but that does help. We do, we do hear about those. Okay. And then the other, like most common cases, you have a decently successful scaling startup. But now they they've ridden their first tech stack to a certain point, but now okay. it's maybe going too slow for what they need. They can't add new features. Maybe the performance is dying off. Maybe it's a legacy piece of software that's just rough. So they'll come in, and this was one of our recent uh, clients, uh, Talent Reef here in Denver, and they said, "Hey, we've got about 12. is that a, is
0: that a, what is that? Is that a recruiting firm?
1: They are actually. They're in okay, like- I gotta believe. I gotta have
0: to bleep that out. No, I'm just playing. Oh. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Okay. I'm just joking to you, man. Go um,
1: ahead. I'm just messing around. <laughs> gotcha. They're luckily they're more in the like fast food, like hourly work. Yeah.
0: It's just, I'm just joking.
1: Um, so anyway, anyway, I got you off track. Sorry. No worries. But you know, they had like 12 years of legacy software, right. Written on some old technology called Fusion. Uh, I see. And it was like, Hey, let's get in there. We need to help modernize these tech stacks, move over to some new platforms, uh, some new user experiences so, so that's a long process to, to get through 12 years of legacy software. So We're like, Hey, let's right. modernize this thing piece by piece.
0: Not to mention you can't even find the full stack developers that wrote the crap. And you're like trying to get over like, you're like, Hey man, I need, where is this stuff? Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> yep. uh, Okay. Yeah. Very good.
1: How, how many people on your team? Yeah. So we have like uh, 10 people right now. And then we also have kind of a, a group of contractors that we work pretty closely with as we scale yeah. uh, plans for this year, are hopefully getting to about 15 uh, full-time crafted people.
0: Wow. That's all right, man. Do you don't, you don't want to share revenue? I don't guess, do you? No. Do you want to, do you want to, do you want to give us
1: like a ballpark? You know, I'm hoping this year, you know, if things continue to go well, like we should get up over a couple of million. All right, cool, congratulations. All right,
0: how was 2020, were you down flat? Were you slightly up? How'd you finish 2020? I mean, a tough year for everybody, but just curious.
1: It was tough, we're, we're going into 2020 with some great trajectory, uh, really planned on growing. Q1 was great, Q2, uh, yeah. the slider so that, you know, let's see, we dropped 70, 70% of our projected revenue for Q2, but luckily, the 30% of the revenue was enough to like keep us healthy, keep us sustained. And then actually the second half of the year with uh, a few clients was great. We actually ended up growing. Uh, we grew the team and the revenue. So year over year revenues were up. Uh, which nice. was, we had a great network of people that helped us out. They gave us good referrals, um, put us in the right direction. And, and then we were able to capitalize with some of these companies that were like, hey, you know, we're not gonna die in COVID. And we're also not just gonna wait around for a year and do nothing. So now's the time to go work with a team like Crafted and, and make some progress while we have some breathing room.
0: So Scott and I, my co-founder, we said that from the very beginning. We're like, oh, if we, we saw these people sticking their head in the sand, oh my God, sky's falling, life's coming up. Scott and I just got up every day like, what we're charging forward. I don't know what you're doing over there, but we're moving forward.
1: <laughs> That's the only way to go, man. Yep.
0: I mean, you know, yeah, I, you have to. You have to. Wow, congratulations! So, uh if, even with COVID, you finished up over prior year, and you're growing now. Um, you headed to, headed towards the 15 people. You got your pivotal lab. Pivotal labs? Who? Who's pivotal labs? I don't even <laughs> recognize Crafted.
1: <laughs> that's what i'm hoping some of these companies will say
0: what's the long-term are you just you know are you having fun building it right now it's you know you just it, it's a great lifestyle business or is there like a whiteboarded specific plan with a five-year financial model blown out that says oh we get to right here and we're going to get acquired or are you just you just kind of yeah walk me through that
1: yeah good question right now we're just right now we just want to make sure we have a sustainable viable business for Myself and a a partner, our employees. We want to treat everybody well. Everybody can progress their careers, both from a knowledge standpoint and a financial standpoint. And we just want to prove that we have a working model that can sustain itself for the first. You know, we're right at three and a half years now. That's going to go on through. You know, in the range of years five through ten, something like that. And I think you know early on, Steve, when I was talking about that uh, home equity line of credit. Yeah, the other realm i started to think about was like hey do i need to go see if there's people that want to invest in a services-based business right. Do i want to go raise a little bit of capital i'm glad i got a lot of good advice from people like hey if you don't need to don't do it right yeah. don't, I'd do don't the same thing I if you need to but the other thing that it kind of discouraged me talking having those conversations was like the first thing people would ask before they really asked about who am i who's my business who are these awesome employees that i'm hiring they're like what's your exit plan and how much i'm like yeah. That seems like the wrong first question uh, in my mind. Like, you know, one, if you knew my team and if you knew me, like that, you know, that should give you confidence in where we're going to go. And I was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not looking like raise it to this number of people and this much revenue and then sell it, get acquired. A lot of those acquisitions and and things go pretty bad for the people involved. They, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a good agency that one of my employees got trained by Prolific out in New York and they eventually got bought by WeWork. Right about the time we WeWork, uh, they had their CEO troubles and they kind of imploded a bit in that they took a great agency that had 100 or 200 people and just, I mean, just burned it to the ground. And those people yeah. all left. It was an acquisition. You know, I'm sure the founders maybe did just fine, but it, it wasn't a successful like kind of business move. And I want to avoid that. So it's not on my radar. This could be something that I grow and build and do for 20, 30 years and eventually retire something could happen where we find the right fit um i think the right fit if it ever came along in years five through ten or or later on would not be getting acquired by a bigger consultancy or something like that it would be we find a partner that we love the tech that they're trying to build we love their opportunity and they see us as a way to like hey let's merge forces to build a product development team and product and Mm -hmm. maybe something like that falls into place uh because at that point maybe. Um, we've done five or 10 years worth of consulting and we're ready to go like own a product. Uh, so nice. something like that could be in the books, but it is not, it's not a defined plan. And it's not nice. like, Hey, we've got to do that by this date right now. Let's just grow a, an awesome business that has a great reputation. So far, we're batting a thousand with our clients. Everybody will get on the phone for me and, and make references and referrals, which I love. Nice. nice. So that's let's keep that bar where it's at. Let's make some money and have some fun doing it. Uh, and then we'll figure out what falls into place.
0: That's my answer. Exactly. I mean, you, you, it sounds like you answered the question exactly how I do. I'd say the same thing. I'm like, look, we're just doing, we're just trying to do a really good job, build a great reputation, make sure we have a sustainable, viable business, having fun, growing it. Um, no, I don't have a five-year financial model. No, I haven't whiteboarded out a specific plan. I say the same thing. And I get I'm just like you, I get super annoyed by it too. I'm just like, cause I'll, They'll be like, well, what's your goal for next year? You know what I always say? And this is, this is not good, right? Uh, I mean, I ran a couple of $40 million companies as a CEO. So I know what's supposed to be done. Uh, But anyway, uh, people say, what's your, what's your uh, uh, target for next year? And I always just say more than last year. (laughs) (laughs) Cause we're just running as fast as we're just going as fast as we can. Uh, But yeah, so I would answer it the same. Yeah. Just same, same thing. If it turns into a 20 year business for us, great. Uh, you know, somebody comes along and wants to write me a, a $20 million check. Okay, sure. Let's have a conversation. Let's have a beer. Sure. We'll talk about it.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, very similar. I mean, I answer very similar. Um, okay. Very good. Um, Well, congrats. I mean, Hey, a service business is tough. I know I'm running one. So a service business is tough, right? Uh, the, the main thing for us, I don't, I'm sure you probably feel similar. I'm guessing you do. You know when you're in this when you're in this consultancy business and recruiting is consulting basically right mm-hmm. um y- your clients are by definition not permanent right like most of the time like they're, they're they're either in a higher up phase or they had this weird blip where they need to hire up or we hired we, we placed a bunch of people and then we placed an hr manager there and then we placed a recruiter there and then they call us and said okay thanks a lot we don't need you anymore yeah. <laughs> and so the, you're constantly having to, to generate new business. Most of the time I mean there is a lot of repeat business but but generally you you're having to look for new business constantly. Yeah. Um that is the 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 tough part about being a service business. The great part about it being a service business is we don't have any inventory that we have to manage or worry about, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you're spot on and I think that's one of my big, biggest learning curves. Uh, over the first three and a half years of crafted is like it, you know, you get a couple of clients, you're happy. Mm-hmm. One, you immediately have to impress those clients and make sure they see the value very quickly, but you don't get a whole lot of time to, to relax. Right. You need to be right. on, on the front right. line. You need to be thinking about those next projects. And I told my, my partner that I was like, we just, we don't, we don't get to celebrate for very long. Uh, That's right. I, love, I mean, I, I love making relationships and, and going doing that. So it, it's, it doesn't feel like hard work, but it's certainly, uh, you can't forget about it, you
0: can't. No, not- I, no, yeah. I mean, biz dev, biz dev is for me and Scott, and we have about ten people involved. We're about, our our company's about the same size. Um, and uh, Scott and I just every day, every day, we're talking about biz dev, relationships, networking, who we call, what sales calls have we made today? Every day, I mean, because you just have to. Because if you don't, it'll. My wife always says she'll always be like you're more nervous when every recruiter is booked and you can't even take on another job. And you guys are super busy because you're more nervous then than you are at any time. I'm like, yeah, I know, because I'm trying to figure out how to keep it going.
1: <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, uh, fun grind though.
0: Oh, I love it, man. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I, you know, I don't have many regrets in life. I'm, I'll be 54 this summer. I don't have many regrets in life, but if, you know, if, if, one of them would be that I didn't start my own business sooner. I, I, I tell my two old grown sons all the time. I'm like, listen, I should have I done it sooner. And, and I'm making less money than I was as an executive. Obviously, I was pulling down a lot more money as an executive than I am as a business owner. Uh, but I wouldn't trade it, man. Are you kidding me? I love it, I love it. I, the biggest things for me are even with all the stresses, with all the pressures of being a business owner, and we could talk about that for another hour of all the stresses and pressures. Yeah. But the flexibility, the flexibility and freedoms that come along with it are, are just hard to measure, right? You just can't even put your finger on it. I mean, you know, if I want to get in my Jeep at noon on a Friday and drive to the mountains, I don't have to
1: ask anybody. <laughs> Definitely, man. I, I love that. And I think, yeah, planning vacations, doing those types of things make a lot yeah. of sense. I think on the flip side, there's the other angle of like, okay, if I, if I'm going to Cabo, like probably going to bring my computer and, and do. a little. Oh, bit-
0: no doubt. Oh, well, you're never really off. Yeah. You're never really off right No, exactly. Right.
1: <laughs> exactly. So, but it is, it's, you get the benefits of both, right? You, you stay on when you want to, and then you yeah. can kind of carve out your own time. So that's I had cool. to buy, I had to buy a
0: satellite phone. I pay for a satellite for when I go up in the mountains, when I'm out of range, I have a sat phone that I carry in my backpack. Oh, nice. That's a good to your to, to your point, to always, you, like, when you own a business, like, unless you're, I don't know, on the operating table, you got to be reachable.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. For sure. Well, two,
0: two final questions. I know we're almost out of time. Um, if, if, uh, if you could call the young man on graduation day, School of Mines, got the cap and gown on. What would you tell him knowing what you know now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good question. I think, you know, actually, if I could back that up four years going into the school of mine, I always, I often have this debate with myself. There was a point in my career where I was getting, you know, a pretty good amount of breadth, but I had this nervousness of was I getting enough depth or not? Right. I I was learning a ton across a lot of different things, but was I going deep enough on anything? And I started to have this concern. It's like, man, there's people are going to see me as like, just not valuable enough in any one thing. And Mm. is that bad, right? And so I had this stress. Mm. So if I look at it from that angle, um, I would say like, hey, going into minds, knowing that I'm in technology now, would I go back and do like a CS degree, right? Instead of like whittling my way into the technology spheres and, and just finding a path. So that would be a possibility. But then the other way I look at it, and if there's other people listening and they're wondering about that breadth versus depth, I actually, now look at the fact that my breadth across many things, right? Whether it's mechanical engineering, real estate, development, finance, going getting my MBA and, and focusing on finance, on the job training, technology, and product management. Now as I launch crafted, that breadth, and I think across my breadth, there's a decent amount of depth. Yeah. Now I think that that's maybe one of my biggest assets that gave me the most comfort to go launch like a crafted. I knew enough about finance. I knew enough about technology. Uh, I knew enough about people management and HR disciplines uh, and stuff like that to where now it's become exponentially more valuable than had I just dove in straight into like the CS uh, path and become a, a, like a hardcore coder. I think if I would have done that, maybe my whole plan and path would not be where it is today. And I love where I am today. So I wouldn't wanna change that. Um, those are the things that go through my mind, like depth, okay. depth versus depth. And you know what I tell my kids like to go focus on technology or tell other kids like technology is so valuable, go focus in that realm. But I think you can find your path out however you wanna find it.
0: Okay, last question. Um, if you had to put your core purpose in life, into a sentence or so but I asked you to separate that from your immediate family so let's let's leave your let's let's set your wife and kids over to the side for just a second knowing that that that's obviously the you know your, your core purpose in life in general but if you if you didn't include that immediate family how would you define Adams core purpose right now
1: Yeah I would say my core purpose as well as what I'm trying to impart, to crafted employee, employees and crafted clients like through, through crafted is, is to be nice and be kind to each other. I think the way that people interact with each other is typically one of the biggest problems in whether it's no, social it. or business life. Yes. And, and while, while crafted's got a lot of tactics and tools and tools in the tool belt, none of those tools really matter. Like if you can't have collaborative, good relationships with people, if you start there, and you're nice and you're empathetic and you understand people, the other crap can work itself out, right? So our goal, my goal is to be as nice as I possibly can to everybody I meet, try to give them value in some interaction that I can have with them or that crafted or that crafted employees can have with these people and and leave everybody in a nicer, uh, more empathetic spot. Then uh, some of these other bigger problems that we're all facing start to eventually wash themselves out, but it's going to take a while.
0: Isn't it a great stuff, Adam? Is isn't it amazing? Out of all the different things I've ran as a manager, as an executive, as a company leader, so often it all comes back to the people skills and the communication with the team. So often, so often. You know, the teams aren't talking, so and so is mad at so and so. What I mean, just you know, it I'm amazed at how often it comes back to that. And as a great consulting company that's one of the things that's wonderful right because when you go in even though you guys go in as a as a tech consultant you end up being like the, the psychiatrist for everybody there because they just they just open right up to you and say well you know bob's like he's never here on fridays and that's what's causing part of these problems yeah. you know <laughs> totally. you get all that right uh yeah. Uh all right, my friend, great interview for the listeners. One more time, crafted dot solutions. You can also look up Adam Oliver on LinkedIn. By the way, he loves it when you send him a bunch of LinkedIn messages trying to sell him stuff. So please send him a bunch of those. Yep. I'm just, <laughs> just joking, man. Thanks for being on the Rider Flex podcast. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, Steve, I appreciate what you guys are doing. It's awesome to be able to share this info and you guys taking the time to get this out to people in the in the community is fantastic. So I appreciate it. Thank <music>